CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjog All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjog All. Very good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join our discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag mobility or hashtag customer experience. Today's topic is innovating and humanizing retail banks. And our guest for today's show is Ron Barmer, who is with Greenwich Associates, and he's the principal of uh, Client Experience Division. Good morning, Ron. How are you? Good morning. Thank you. I'm well. How are you? Very good. And uh, the work is going well. Uh, you're enjoying the balance between uh, work and family? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, some days perhaps more than others, but uh, in general, I can't complain. Very good. Now, uh, in terms of the topic, uh, you know, let me share this with the listeners as well as with you. We first came to this topic when we recognized the massive amounts of innovation coming from the mobility sector in banking, and view, uh, we actually viewed all of these things as great ideas. But what we wanted to see was that how banks were taking these concepts and going be above and beyond, not only in the mobility, but even in other areas where innovation can happen, in finding competitive advantage, but also, at the same time, become an integral part of their customer lives and being an industry and an organization that people really look to uh, and, and respect even when going beyond making financial decisions. So you become part of the family. So, so that said, the first question comes is banks want their consumers to trust them, all their customers, and those customers want to share in that trust. Uh, you know, we all know that people – trust people versus people trusting entities. So how do you think a seemingly sterile organization such as a large corporate entity and, and, and specifically a bank could establish trust in minds of its customers? Well, I'll say that's a great question. You know, interestingly enough, the concept of trust is really at the root of most people's relationships with their financial institution. You know, you're going to take your money and you're going to deposit it somewhere and you're going to walk away and you're going to hope that it's there when you come back. Uh, and more importantly, you hope that the people who you've deposited with will do something responsible uh, with it as you're gone. And with that in mind, having trust in that institution is really critical and it's at the heart of the relationship most people have with their financial institution. Uh, and... To underscore that, you know, between, say, the fourth quarter of 2008 and the end of 2009, during the real heart of the, of the fiscal and financial crisis, people's trust in those financial institutions was shaken. And uh, we saw deposit levels fall. We saw the perception of banks as institutions fall and the perception of bankers fall to levels, you know, just above used car salesmen and members of Congress. And uh, it's really the restoration of that that has been the work of banks for the last few years. So to do that, uh, we've observed uh, several things, uh, some of it um, pretty basic tactical stuff and some of it a little more strategic. At the strategic level, we find that building trust through communication and establishing the perception 
of your brand as one that is trustworthy and stable, and that's just plain old marketing. And at a tactical level, it's really about people inside branches and one-to-one relationships inside call centers as you, as you call in or speak to, to people on the phone, establishing a sense of the humanistic face of a bank and an institution. Great. Now, we also have another uh, guest with us, uh, Jacqueline Vose, who's also with Greenwich Associates, and she's leading product development, and she was actually previously heading the U.S. customer experience at TD Bank. Welcome, Jacqueline. How are you? Good morning, Sanjog. I'm well. Great. Great to have you on the show. Now, things are going well with you? They are. Thanks for having me today. Great. Now, you must have heard already what Ron mentioned about establishing trust. Now, one old saying is that ad- advertising brings awareness and performance creates brand. So when we talk about brand, one is to just look at, as as uh, Ron mentioned, we can do some marketing talk. But if you go fundamentally and try to touch people's lives and or, or, or your customers, there has to be something beyond the regular things that we do to establish that bond and trust. So what has been your experience in order for you to be able to do and what people or companies should do and what they should not try to do uh, to overall get a net positive in terms of trust building? Well, we see greatly that our customers rely on word of mouth. Advertising is important. Having a strong brand is critical. But being able to refer friends and family to your bank is the strongest result of a strong brand. Um, It will bring in greater loyalty and deeper relationships with your customers. So building that trust, creating that loyalty comes from what Ron was stating, building that one-to-one relationship. And in the old days, we banked face-to-face. And building a one-to-one relationship was easy. Today, we bank through our phones, through mobile, through the Internet, um, through the phone. Uh, telephone banking and contact centers are one of the largest contact points with your customers. But it doesn't have to be cold, and it doesn't have to be distant. Building that trust is as simple as making sure your applications are easy to use. If you can click through it quickly, then so will your customers. Um, making sure you think ahead and are proactive, knowing what they're going to ask for, recommending a product to them, helping them navigate through their financial life. We're the experts here. We need to be the ones creating an environment where we can refer a product, we can recommend their next steps, help them prepare for their career and their life financially. That's not what our customers are good at. That's what we're good at. And that will help establish trust and build your brand. So, Ron, interestingly, you know, this, this show is CIO Talk Radio. We, we talk to a lot of technology leaders, not exactly at the geek level, but more strategically. And we always talk about IT's best serving. It's supposed to be serving uh, at its best when people don't talk about it. Do you think the same holds true for a bank? So if I have my bank doing what I'm supposed to have them do to help me take care of my investments and or help me uh, transact business or, or in my personal life, I'm, I'm good with the bank. Or would you say that every time I hear from the bank uh, or I, I think about my bank is when they're not doing something right? Is that what the uh, the notion or, or this is the, the norm is? No, I think actually you, you said it well the first time, and that is uh, it, it's really only something you think about when the bank is not doing it right. That is to say uh, access to technology in order for me to have more convenient banking or more efficient banking is really something that a, a customer just expects. Uh, 
Uh, we refer to it as some, sometimes it's basic table stakes uh, and not offering uh, some of those easy-to-use uh, services is really something that keeps you uh, differentiated negatively, not necessarily something that makes you stand out positively. I hope that makes sense. It's, it's uh, another way of saying it is having some of these services does not differentiate you positively, but not having some of these services really makes you look um, sort of out of step or out of touch. Interestingly, so so Jacqueline, in, in your world, since you handled even for TD Bank and now you must be helping other customers, if if I'm talking to a bank and I am I am in that interaction, yes, you can try to push new ideas, help them out, etc. But do you think you are measured by how many times people call or you call them, or is it measured by, by how many times a customer does not call you, but they still are loyal to the bank? Sandog, I think it's a little different. I'm going to take a different spin on that. Regardless of the number of times you're having contacts with your customers, it's results of those contacts. Even in the most negative situation, it's how we handle those contacts and resolve those problems that can deepen loyalty and improve the ROI of that customer. For example, if you have your debit card stolen or your credit card stolen, you're in a panic situation. And if your financial institution handles that problem well and resolves it in a desirable way, you are going to be more loyal to that institution than you were before you had that problem. So regardless of the number of interactions or even the type of interactions, there is going to be a tipping point, of course. But still, regardless of that, your institution the financial institutions out there have an opportunity with their customers each and every time they touch them. Now, uh, Ron, this is interesting how Jacqueline puts it. It looks like a, a crisis is an opportunity for a, for a bank to basically make a difference and establish trust and bond with their customers. But what do you do when things are going well? Well, it's an interesting question. You know, when things are going well uh, in this in this space in particular, uh, what it comes down to is around market share then. We would advise clients to, uh, in terms of if those clients who are not experiencing a large number of problems or are uh, demonstrating the ability to resolve problems quickly and efficiently, as Jackie describes, we would advise those institutions to go on the offense. Uh, they should be about seizing market share and aggressively pursuing customer acquisition. If we have a client that has a problem with problems or a problem with problem resolution, it's an entirely different bit of strategic advice we'd give, and we would suggest they need to focus on solve that first and go for customer acquisition second. So if you talk about the trust which impacts loyalty, what does actually, and this is for you, Jacqueline, what triggers and sustain a behavior where people will really go gaga over the experience you've had and or just tell the world, you, they become your extended sales force in a way to have people join your bank if you are uh, running the bank? It really, it is a phenomenon that happens. It creates a competitive advantage for an institution that has customers that are so loyal, they're willing to be the brand. They're willing to refer their friends and family to the institution. Um, you know, the saying is a negative comment will go to 7,000 people. Well, a positive comment, we believe, will go even further. And we believe that our uh, customers and the customers of our financial institutions will begin to generate awareness, generate um, the brand for the institution. 
Can I really add to that, Jackie? Up. You know, in this in the in the environment we find ourselves in with the the ballooning of the use of social media, I, I think you're right on. I would argue that you know the comments and referrals that people make about their institutions uh, really touches uh, countless uh, possible uh, customers. So word of mouth is really critical. And also, what is interesting is you know people who do make a positive comment, in addition to affecting a non-customer, that is to say, having somebody look at that referral and give consideration, the person who made the referral is likely to be more loyal and likely to have different behavior from somebody who doesn't make a referral. So there's really two sorts of positive benefits that can emerge from that. One thing is to be loyal. Another is to be a raving fan. How do you jump from the first level to the next? So, Jacqueline, if you were to be in, in your past experience and now that you're doing with anyone, what would be your set of three or four items which you would say an organization should show excellence in and which is doing something consistently based on what people want and meet and exceed their expectation? What would those things be which will transform a set of loyal customers to become your raving fans? Well, a loyal customer and is sometimes referred to as a passive customer, someone who's satisfied but unenthusiastic. Uh, they might be wooed to the competition, but, but they do enjoy the services you offer today. But then you create this enthusiasm, this loyal enthusiast who keeps buying from the company and urging colleagues to do the same. Um, some steps that we would recommend taking for institutions is to make sure we've gotten head and heart. Head and heart of your customers is critical. So head is the rational, the best features, the best service, the best price. But with your heart, you've created the relationship. The customer thinks that their bank knows them, they value them, they listen to them, and they share their values. Ways that we can do that is showing that through the contact center, empathetic conversations, recommending, being proactive. That also happens face-to-face in the branch. But online and through mobile, we create other environments where we recognize the customer when they come back and they don't have to put in their password every single time or they've got a simpler password where they can quickly see a um, one-page screenshot of their uh, accounts in a dashboard environment versus clicking through several times to get to their um the data that they most likely use. Those are interesting features that make them sticky to the financial institution, so it helps breed ROI, but it also helps develop what we call a relationship through these online channels. Let's take a quick break, listeners. Uh, We'll be right back. And when we come back, Ron, uh, let's talk about the conceptual age we live in. So we have, in a way, passed the information age where we were trying to do something which is in structured manner and exchange information as a transaction. Now we want to wow people, touch their hearts and things like that. And there are ideas being put out there every second of the day by different organizations. How do you determine what type of and how many uh, ideas that you should keep putting out there for you to keep your brand top of mind of your customers, transform them from being loyal to raving fans, and how do you determine shelf life of an idea so that you're prepared to put out the next one before this other one becomes stale? Let's stay tuned. Uh, We'll be right back and explore. Explore. 
The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use Ring Central, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at ringcentral.com. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use Ring Central, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration, and manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at ringcentral.com. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sun Joke All. Welcome back. Uh, so, uh, Brian, if you were to look at the shelf life of an idea and you are trying to put out many such ideas, how would you come up? What would be the genesis of those ideas which will identify and uncover the latent needs? How would you go about making sure you plan it in such a way so that you are always on top of mind, but you're also not pestering them by, by trying to look cool? Well, um, I think fortunately enough, uh, most of our client institutions as very large banks do not look cool. So there's probably very little risk of that, unfortunately. Um, I would say, you know, <clears throat> that's actually by design. Uh, that most banking institutions don't want to look cool. I think it has to do with this notion that uh, we talk about at the outset of our conversation, which is around trust and the notion that the institution needs to be sending signals to its customers and non-customers that this is a uh, an enduring, lasting, and large uh, institution. And often the notion of being slow-moving helps reinforce that. <clears throat> That's one thought. I think on top of that, you know, your question about over-investing or perhaps pacing and timing is an important one. Some of the uh, kinds of innovations that we see coming out of technology, uh, NFC, virtual wallets, um, a lot of the mobile banking applications, we really would advise our clients to be very patient uh, as they roll those out in waiting for the ROI on those investments. Many of them are going to take a long time to take root 
or take hold and may take a long time to pay off. So patience would really be a watchword of the strategy that we would advise any CIO to uh, to um, <clears throat> carefully consider. You know, there so, are groups of people, there are pockets of customers, early adopters, uh, who will take those new technologies and adopt them very quickly and really become reliant upon them. And then there are others who will be very slow to move in that direction. So most of our banks are required to keep the bricks-and-mortar bank on the corner while at the same time offering new technologies for a different type of customer base. And that is the unfortunate reality of the cost of operating a bank. Jacqueline, uh, if you were to look at different banks, and I'm sure you've spoken to your peers and counterparts in other companies as well, or other banks as well, do you think we have to have a, a broad stroke, common denominator based trust building, humanizing bank building uh, strategy, or could, should there be some customization? And if yes, based on which bank, what strategy would work, how do you determine that? It has to be customized. Um, Every bank is different and every culture is different. That's why we have different institutions and our customers relate differently to those institutions and make choices based on that. Overall, overall though, we do need to have a customer-centric strategy, and that strategy is key in execution. Um, it's one thing to say, I want to focus on the customer. It's another thing to make it part of your strategic plan, to link compensation to it, to monitor those results and hold people accountable um, with great frequency, monthly, quarterly. Um, that is the key that we see of the people who succeed and the people who fail is truly in the execution of a customer-centric strategy. So if you were to take, Ron, the examples where organizations tried something and it did not work, what did they do wrong in the first place? Usually what we see is they are very disjointed in their process. They have the best of intentions. They've been bankers for generations. Um, they're steeped in their own culture to where they cannot see past some of their opportunities, and they go out after reading one article in one magazine and try many, many different things all at once. We prescribe a very detailed, stepped approach that helps customize to each bank's culture, um, taking them through the initial analysis, through key drivers and understanding who their customers are so that they can meet their needs. I mean, Sunjog, go figure that we would ask a customer, what do you want of us, and then actually deliver it versus coming up in a boardroom, in a table, tremendous room with people deciding what our customers need. You, you say this very uh, – you, what you just said right now is very interesting uh, in terms of us not trying to go closer to the customer and understand. Now, let's, let's take the example of Steve Jobs, right? If he – as as someone who we call a legend who transformed an industry or transformed the way we, we, we compute or the way we live our lives almost was because he did not see that I need to call and ask my customer to see what do they want. I want to wow them and I, I want them to uh, experience something they've never experienced before. Do you think we are? And this is exactly let, – let me, let me put this uh, question for you, Ron. Do you think we are at that point where we have a bunch of Steve Jobs in respective companies who are working with that intent or they are working with more just a result orientation that somehow I increased my market share? Are we being tactical or are we being disruptive? 
oh, I would argue we're being tactical uh, on the whole, and I would argue as an industry, uh, banking is a highly tactical one. Uh, the, the financial services sector, I would submit, is not a leader in terms of innovation and is, in fact, rather a, uh, a follower. Um, <clears throat> and I would, I would also go so far as to say that that's okay. We're talking about people's uh, financial lives. It's markedly different than, if I if I may argue, than arguing over whether or not this technology or that technology is better for playing back your music or showing your your kids Instagram. And when we take into account the fact that people have uh, mortgages, college loans, uh, perhaps even commercial loans for the very business that provides their livelihood, that almost requires a slower, more paced response to technology possibilities and uh, and incorporating the needs and demands of customers because we really are talking about dealing with the financial health of individuals. Jacqueline, do you think there is anything to be said about the different generations that are in a, at a given time banking with a given retail financial institution or a bank? I do. I absolutely do. Um, each of our generations has gone through experiences that are um, – specific to them, and they've come up either with or without technology, so they're going to be laggards and slow to adopt, or they're going to be quick to adopt and have different sets of expectations. However, the one common thing is that customers expect stellar service, and there is that common thread. Um, One thing we face a lot with our clients, different financial institutions around the globe, is how can you service my customer in California like you do in Europe, like you do in Canada? And the response that I give is that at the bottom of it all, customers have one need and they want to be treated well and they want to have high service standards. Those standards might be slightly different amongst those age groups or amongst amongst geographical locations, but ultimately we can identify what those uh, differences are and help you target and pinpoint them. So, uh, Ron, when you look at the different generations, do you think uh, they are expecting the same things from the bank? No, I don't. Uh, we actually find that when we do segmentation work with our clients that you can see very clear uh, cut points in terms of uh, education levels, uh, not just age. Age is certainly uh, an, a critical input, but it's not the only one uh, included in that are geography uh, that is where in the country they might be, uh, coupled with uh, income and education levels. Those three factors tend to be critical inputs to understanding the various segments a bank may have. Each bank and each bank can be different. So the needs of a bank in Pleasanton, California, might be markedly different from those of one in Appleton, Wisconsin. And our counsel would be that those institutions should slow down, pause for a moment, just as Jackie uh, suggests, and let's go out into that universe of customers and understand what the unique segmentations are of that institution, and then let's build our technology strategy uh, to reflect what those needs are. Jacqueline, do you think a bank's culture, what they are, they develop over time, maybe organically, I'm not sure if, if an, a bank actually works deliberately to form a culture, do you think the customer, the end customer, especially in case of a retail bank, care as long as they are getting what they are supposed to get? So do you not think that we should have insulation, a, a thick insulation between 
how a customer gets the service versus what all you have to do? How many hoops do you have to jump through in order to make that happen from one bank to another? It, there should be uh, insulation. Uh, the customer really only cares about what's in it for me. They really don't care how many hoops we have to jump through to clear a check or to process that um, transaction. And quite frankly, when, when you're being serviced, let's take your automobile, for example, if, if the um, repair guy comes out and says it's $5,000, you don't really care too much about why it took to get there, you know, how if you had to ship the part or if it had to be handled out, you know, somewhere else. It's more about what is in it for me. Is it the $5,000 bill? Is it the price tag? And so we do need to create that insulation to where we service the customer in a way that's quick, easy to understand, and meets their needs. Other than that, that's for us. That's for the CIOs out there to go handle and operations and technology to manage. So, Ron, do you think the way you would expect an organization to keep keep that insulation intact and then based on it, you go ahead and uh, try to serve the customer in a uniform way, is that truly happening or there are some holes, some leakages which uh, basically show themselves and that's what makes a customer defect? I think you I think you're spot on. There are leakages and it, those holes are in fact what make people uh consider another institution. Um you, if you think about the highly distributed nature of trying to deliver banking services, it can be very hard to create uniform, similar and common experiences across the whole distribution network. So does it feel the same when I'm in a branch speaking to a commercial banker at the ATM? on the phone, online, and mobile. So you have an omni-channel delivery system spread across what could potentially be a large geographic region. And in that, within the scope of all that omni-channel delivery, have you created a unified experience? Probably not. And we would argue that the, the better and the best practice institutions are the ones that are continuously striving to do so, and those that are laggards are the ones who don't understand that that's a strategic imperative. So, uh, Jacqueline, if you were to look at the, you we did speak about the social media, right? So that's one level of saying, okay, I'm going to tweet a few things and and I'm going to respond to how customers uh, respond on a on a social media channel. Another is to actually fundamentally ingrain social media and and you may call it social banking uh, and maybe we should define what social banking is and we are trying to deeply ingrain that in our enterprise architecture in the banking architecture so that it is not seen as a slap on tool versus something this is the core way you you interact with the customers and that's what is part of customer experience so how's that going how far do you think this is being adopted embraced by the banks and what kind of results are we seeing from it I think some of our larger institutions are quickly and readily adopting social media. We're learning our customers' behaviors, as we talked about earlier. Um, we want to target those behaviors, adapt to those behaviors, and make sure we're servicing our customers the way they want to be serviced. Um, specifically at TD Bank, I found that maximizing the social media network helped us in, in both proactive resolution and reactive resolution. There was one weekend where a national football player, who I'll remain nameless at this point, literally tweeted um, that everyone should close all their accounts at TD Bank 
because they were open on Martin Luther King Day and they did not respect Dr. King's um, philosophies and practices. He had over 127,000 Twitter followers. <laughs> Thankfully, we had uh, monitoring Twitter uh, established and ingrained at TD Bank. We were alerted immediately of it. We had an immediate problem resolution escalation process to follow. Within hours, we were within contact with that professional football player. He was speaking directly to the president of our bank and helping uh, understand our culture of being a customer service culture regardless of holidays and not reflective of Dr. King or anyone else's philosophies and principles. It was more about being open when our customers needed us. Within four hours, that professional football player retweeted, please don't close your accounts. I now understand TD's philosophy. They really are focused on the customer, and they don't uh, have any views against Dr. King. So quickly and immediately, 127,000 people received a negative message and then a supporting positive message. That's an example of how powerful social media can be and how it can affect ROI of your institution. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And when we come back, let's talk about the social media and, and the, the instance that you uh, shared with us, Jacqueline. Thank you so much for that. Is in a way telling us that there could be huge benefits, but in many cases, it could create a lot many more problems in terms of if somebody comes and says something negative, the whole organization has to uh, really rally together and a lot of resources and energy is put in in order to just do damage control. So do you think, given where we stand, and yes, the reality is that we have to embrace social media, can we get creative? And when we come back, Ron, if you were to provide a playbook for how an organization, specifically in this case a retail bank, is supposed to adopt social media and social banking, what should be the core fundamental principles on which this should be based so that you're not always fighting fires, instead leverage it, uh, leverage this positively. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration. And manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant. 
like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Ron, uh, if you were to create a social uh, banking playbook, if you will, what all things we would do? And would it be more towards just putting a bunch of things on, try them, or we have already learned lessons from whosoever else has done that already? And then based on it, we will make a careful selection so that we don't have more losses than, than uh, benefits coming out of it. Yeah, you know, I, I really, honestly, uh, most – of the experiences around using social media for banking have already been uh, tried. And I think what I would do if I were at a banking institution and do, considering this, I would try to learn from that. And, and by that, what I mean is uh, we've seen that people, users, individual users, consumers, they're not terribly interested in receiving uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Yammer, Instagram-related communications from their bank about really awesome banking services. Uh, in fact, in some cases, uh, what we hear from people is that they consider some of those communications from their banks to be kind of cheesy uh, and, and, in, and, and mildly unwelcome. So we think rather uh, the way to deal with social media as it relates to this is to be a reactive medium. I realize it's counterintuitive and I realize it uh, is perhaps a different approach than perhaps a traditional retailer might make or even a technology company might make. But I think in the case of your banking uh, institution, our advice would be to use it in a way that Jackie described, and that is as a way to listen to the market, as a way to listen to the voice of the customer and the voice of the shareholder, and uh, use it as a response mechanism rather than as an active promotional or, or uh, push medium. Uh, that's the first thought. The second thought is uh, we would advise uh, our bank, our banking clients to not be early adapters. There are early adapters out there. I think of um, USAA Bank uh, based in San Antonio, a very early adopter of remote uh, deposit capture. Uh, I think of Wells Fargo Bank, who has some of the best online platforms there are on a comparative basis. But our advice to clients would be to uh, slow down and not be an early adopter. Why? You could spend an enormous amount of money to build some of these platforms and technologies and not realize the return for a significant period of time down the road. Much easier to let someone else lead, learn from their mistakes, and then go out and buy and white label a solution. Interestingly, so Jacqueline, uh, who would be uh, volunteering here to become the guinea pig? What kind of organization, what kind of culture would need to be there? Because somebody has to try it, right, for the rest of the community or uh, that whole industry to follow suit. 
I think what uh, Ron was saying is our top 10 institutions, we see building it themselves, uh, going out first, and taking that risk. And as you know, their uh, names are the ones that are in the headlines. When you get below that top 10 into your top 50, even your top 100, they're purchasing from providers and white labeling products, products that can be on version 3, 4, and 5. They've been tested, thorough QA. Um, their clients are ready for that technology because that technology is stronger. That's the type of institution we see going after uh, technology that's been proven, and we like to use the term fast follower. So would you say uh, the advice, Jacqueline, based on you know, what you just said, do you think a CIO or, or his crew should not take pride if they're working for a bank in trying to do a lot of sandboxing, see who else has done it, if there is a vendor who can uh, you know, offer you that solution, just go with that. But then what do you say to those marketing leaders and or executive management who say, I want profits yesterday, I want growth yesterday, I want market share yesterday? Those are all really good points. We do want growth, we do want market share, and we need it now, but we cannot risk our reputation. Reputational risk and customer loyalty go hand in hand. And as, if you become the bank that uh, builds it, absorbs all resources and funding into those sandbox activities, you're going to create a funnel for your profits and a funnel for your um, for your budgets. What those budgets could be better spent outsourcing that technology, purchasing a proven product, and delivering something your customers feel good about versus have extreme failures and you're in a constant problem resolution state. By the way, Jacqueline, I think well said, but I would add to that, if I may, um, that the because of the early adopter versus the um, copycat uh, strategy that so many banking institutions have, the opportunity to differentiate and truly be unique with that new sandbox technology you developed is fairly short-lived. It won't take long for uh, those other institutions to catch up. So if you think about, for example, the USAA bank example I gave with remote deposit capture, that came out was an absolutely terrific game-changing application, and within three to six months, every other banking institution in the country had it. So, Ron, do you think uh, the technologies like mobile wallets or NFC or virtual currencies, these are all the new trends that you see? Do you think, let's start with mobile wallets, do you think these are the type of payments which will allow people to uh, do more with their organization versus their competitor just because they place that technology in place? I do, and in fact, it's interesting you name those particular applications uh, in your question because it's in the area of payments that we're really seeing the most uh, innovation. Um, there's, there certainly is innovation in the area of banking, that is to say, how do I go on and make a deposit or pay a provider uh, or you know, move money between and among accounts. That, that innovation is sort of in some ways behind us, and we're waiting for the next big aha, the next the, the next big wave is in this area of payments, as you described, uh, near-field, uh, virtual wallets, that kind of thing. So those innovations are where people, we think, are spending most of their time and money in developing. That's the first thought. The second is that we're waiting to see what the regulatory and governmental reaction is to some of that. Uh, if you think about the 
really extreme provisions and clampdown that comes as a result of the Dodd-Frank regulations in the post-financial crisis era. It's an interesting question. How will regulators respond to the notion of of virtual wallets where there's no actual money-changing hands? And what does that mean for some of those regulatory requirements around reserve rates and other things that people have to have for cash on hand? So um, in your role at TD Bank and now currently you're advising clients, Jacqueline, if you were to be handed over the task of evaluating for a given bank these different technologies, maybe NFC or virtual currency or mobile wallets or social banking for that matter, how would you prioritize for them what they should uh, take on first or even if they go in parallel to what degree that should they should even invest in it, even though they may be even even if if other banks have approached uh used them got some value out of them how would you have them start with things like these and okay. and you know what let's do this let's take a quick break when we come back uh le- why don't you continue your thoughts here wait is that your pager There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration, and manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, uh, Jacqueline, in, in uh, your view, if all of these different technologies, including mobile wallets, NFC, virtual currencies, and even social banking, whatever that we are doing to uh, manifest it, 
if if an organization has already tried, a number of them have already tried to a limited degree, there is some experience, some empirical data which says, yes, there could be value created. Still, you want other organization to be cautiously optimistic and take reasonable steps to to almost predict success or you plan your success. What would those incremental steps in terms of due diligence, evaluation, and actual implementation be? I think the most critical point of due diligence goes back to that customized uh, viewpoint of your customer at your financial institution. If there's no clear sign of customer interest, there's no need to invest these dollars. Um, Singapore is a perfect example for the NFC uh, mobile payment technology. Um, currently, they're having no results in Singapore. Um, they've got tremendous smartphone print penetration. They are a market for fast-moving consumer goods. It would appear to be all things perfect uh, as an incubator for this product. However, customers um, are having a hard time paying the exorbitant prices to get this technology on their smartphone. Many of the um, retailers don't offer it yet as a technology point. So they're critical factors when you create your implementation plan um, or your business case to go after new technologies. And the very first thing you should ask yourself is, what do my customers want? You can achieve that through various survey techniques, focus groups with your customers, things that are relatively inexpensive given the size of the technology budget you would have to deploy these new services. So when it comes to the technology adoption, of course, the people who are in technology department who have to work with business units and their user groups. So, Ron, what have you seen uh, happening behind the scenes within banks? Are there bottlenecks there? Are there some chronic issues which are tough to solve? And that's maybe what is preventing banks to leverage these innovations to their best possible outcome. Honestly, I, I don't see huge bottlenecks. In our experience, most of the people uh, in uh, the technology uh, departments at these large institutions are are wide open and uh, free thinking. And I have also observed that most of the leadership of these institutions are prepared to invest in technology when they believe that there will be a return on the investment. And so our counsel to clients is to take the time up front to build the business case prior to going to leadership and seeking the resources for such an investment. It's that thought, by the way, is uh, at the heart of why we would also suggest people to not necessarily be the early adopter, but the fast follower, uh, because in doing so, you can really build that business case, use the fast follow time to uh, assess the demands of your customers and ask yourselves, where do we need to be on the continuum um, of that um, of that technology uh, deployment or application. So, um, uh, Jacqueline, in your view, uh, if you were to look at the people side, uh, do you think we are covered and there is no uh, requirement to make uh, a change in in the way we are working behind the scenes and also uh, as as a frontline workers? Actually, I see the reverse. I see that when you begin to tap into what your customers feel about their experiences, you will find tremendous amounts of data for process improvements in your back office, whether that's technology or operations or even in a middle space between those uh, support functions and in the front line. 
Um, we like to use the term problem resolution a lot, but what you find is trending that identifies an improvement for your statement output, an improvement for uh, your releasing of increased fees, an improvement for simple elements within your website and your online banking tools. Um, your customers will be very free with their comments and pulling certain text analytics uh, fields that can pull data from that customer feedback will help you trend over time for both your back office as much as your front office. Ron, if you were to look at the humanization overall, and we're talking about technology, we're talking about people and processes and multiple touch points. If if you had to appeal to the banks and say, these are the hot areas, these are the areas which you should touch first in order to get that unified humanization versus a spot humanization, what which ones would those be? Well, I think you are really at the heart of what we see uh, as the real inflection point in retail banking as of right now today. Certainly, omni-channel is a critical idea. Certainly, uh, mobile and revised ways to deal with payments is a critical idea. And those are two things that we think banks should be aggressively uh, considering and ultimately investing in. At the same time, however, we do find that this notion of humanization and this idea that people are really at the heart of this business is, in fact, the most critical differentiating opportunity that banks have right now today. The people are already there. The investment's already made in deploying those people through your bricks and mortar and your contact centers. Now it's about creating some kind of uniformed experience, uniform experience for the customer uh, across that highly distributed network that we talked about before. And to do so, it's really about the basic blocking and tackling of management. And I'm making a distinction when I say that between leading and managing. Leading is about strategy and ideas, and managing is about the day-to-day blocking and tackling of having people deliver on the set of expectations that the brand creates and also deliver on the uh, needs that people will have come as a result of the technology they're using in order to access their money. And it's really at that critical point, the point at which a person touches a person that we find the most successful banks are differentiating themselves. One last question, 30 seconds for you. So uh, uh, basically, Jacqueline, if you had to give an advice to the leaders or maybe appeal to the leaders at, at various banks so that they can work towards um, an end goal of humanizing the bank and, of, of course, eat the cake and have it too, that is also get their market share and profitability and growth. What would those top two to three things that they should be doing new and different? Make customer experience a part of your core strategy. It should be one of the pillars that you think about every day as you report your results, as you measure your um, employees' performances, and as you measure the bank's overall ROI. That right there will drive performance and drive focus on customer experience. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you both, Ron and Jacqueline, for sharing your thoughts on how organizations, which is retail banks in this case, case could actually help with innovation and also humanize the experience so that they are in better connection and touch with their customers. Thank you so much again. Thank you.
And uh, listeners, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and please be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid.